You can find this evening's reading on page 1916 in the Church Bibles. It's from the book, chapter 3, starting at verse 7. To the church in Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the, on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you for reading, Tim, and let me add my welcome to St. John's uh, this evening, especially if you're new or visiting. Uh, if you've got a Bible near, it might be really helpful to have it open at page 1916, as I plan to refer to the passage during the talk. Let's pray. So that we may know the truth. Thank you for this rich and complex book of Revelation that you made available for us to study and to learn from. Thank you for these letters to the churches. Help us to understand the situation then and to draw out valuable applications to us here now. Form and shape us into the people you want us to be. Help me as I speak to be faithful and to say only those things which are from you and are fully in line with your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, have you ever noticed that things are not always what they seem to be on the surface. Now, take a look at this picture. What do you see? Just study it for a moment. Now, who sees a young lady? Okay, who sees an old lady? Hmm, strange. Who sees both a young and an old lady? Ah, interesting. Okay, so which is it? Is it young or is it old? Can you see the... the the, the two pictures. Anybody not see the old lady now? Or not see the young lady? So the old lady, that's her nose, this is her mouth, and that's her chin. And there's a, a bit of tape around her neck. 
Can you see that? So there's a, an old lady with hair and eye and nose and mouth, and a young lady just with eye and ear. Interesting, isn't it? It's both. So things are not always what they seem. This is a bit like the situation in Philadelphia, as we'll be able to see from our passage. On the one hand, they have little strength, and they're facing opposition from a powerful group, the Jewish leaders and the synagogue in their city. So things look really grim for them. But on the other hand, Jesus himself has placed before them an open door which no one can shut. They've kept Jesus' word in the face of strong opposition, and they're commended for this. They've also not denied Jesus' name. They've been happy to be identified as Christians, despite the pressure. Also, Jesus promises to make their opponents come and fall down at their feet and acknowledge that he, Jesus, has loved them. And they've kept Jesus' command to endure patiently and will be preserved by him through the trial which is coming upon all the inhabitants of the earth. And not only this, but Jesus promises to make them pillars in the temple of God, God, that is the new Jerusalem, and the, name, and the new name of Jesus himself. So looking on the surface, the church in Philadelphia is doomed. It's on the point of being crushed. But lifting the physical veil and looking at the real substance, which is what matters to Jesus, the church is obedient and faithful to Jesus and is enjoying many opportunities given to it by Jesus. It's got everything going for it. All it needs to do is to stay faithful and to go through that open door which is in front of it. Physical appearances can be deceptive. We need to find out about and to focus on the spiritual reality. So let's take a moment to look at the situation in first century Philadelphia. Firstly, Philadelphia was a young city built a short distance away from Pergamum as a bit of an offshoot of the city to control a wider area. Secondly, it was built in an area which was prone to earthquakes, and therefore it was, there was a sense of vulnerability in that city. If you've ever been to an area which is affected by earthquakes, I go to Japan and there are earthquakes there all the time. If you've ever been to one of those areas, you'll know that the people who live there are affected by the perception that their homes might be destroyed at any time. There can be a pervasive feeling that things are not stable and permanent. Thirdly, the church of Philadelphia was small and weak. We can see this from uh, Jesus' words in verse 8. And fourthly, there was a large and influential Jewish community in Philadelphia, which was opposing the new Christian community. This would have been quite hurtful, as many of the Christians were probably from that community. Many of the Jews became Christians. And, and then, as those Christians were probably from that community, it was being opposed by former friends would have been particularly upsetting and troubling. Imagine if, if some people broke away and then we started to oppose them. They'd be sort of internecine fighting, which wouldn't be good, would it? And finally, all of this would have resulted in enormous pressure on this young and vulnerable church. So on the, on the surface, things look really grim for the Christians in Philadelphia. Well, let's turn to the message from Jesus uh, to this church under pressure. Firstly, in, in verse 7, we note that this is from Jesus, who's the Holy One and the True One. Uh, 
they're nouns in, in the original text, not adjectives. And Jesus is also described as being the one who holds the key of David. Uh, all of this underlines Jesus' authority, which arises from his holiness, his faithful witness to the truth, and his possession of the key of David, which picks up a reference from Isaiah 2, verses 21 and 22. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus has the authority to give access to the new Jerusalem, God's holy city. Oops, sorry, I've clicked too many. Yes, he's got the authority to give access to the new Jerusalem, God's holy city. He can also deny access to any who are undeserving. So, turning to the actual message in verses 8 and following, the Lord confirms to the Philadelphian Christians that he knows their deeds. Then he states that he's placed before them an open door which no one can shut and that he is granting them access to the new Jerusalem, God's holy city, and no one is going to be able to deny them access to that new Jerusalem, that holy city. He then commends them for keeping his word, despite their weakness. They've been obedient to what Jesus instructs. Next, he tells this church that the Jews who are oppressed come before them, fall down, and acknowledge that Jesus has loved them. Jesus then tells them that he will preserve them from the trial which is coming on the whole world. His word to them then continues, advising them that he's coming soon, in the sense that his return will be sudden and unexpected. He calls on them to persevere, after which he tells them that the victors will be made pillars in the temple of God. This means they will be pillars, that is, key parts of the new Jerusalem, permanently and unshakably. Not only this, they'll receive the three names of God, the city of God, and Jesus' new name. This underlines their ownership, that they're fully and completely and unquestionably people belonging to God, permanent residents of God's holy city, with all the rights which that brings. Striking in this letter is the absence of any rebuke. Other letters have got, but I have this against you, not here. There's absolutely no rebuke to the Philadelphian Christians whatsoever. So let's apply what we've learned to us here and now in 21st century Southbourne. Now this week, I read the following paragraph in one of the magazines which find themselves increasingly bewildered. A new age of anti-Christian marginalization, discrimination, and persecution is developing. And we find it difficult to know how to respond. We see the church growing in places of pressure, such as Iran, India, and China. We see the church dying in the freedom of the West. Some Christians in the West live out their respectable lives still unaware of the coming deluge and ask what the problem is. Others see the danger and want to flee, but where? Still others want to stand and fight, but how? Does this ring true to you? 
it seems that it isn't just the Philadelphian Christians who are feeling weak and set upon, bewildered and not sure where to turn. The reality is that the true church of Jesus is under pressure today. Superficially, the church seems to be weak and losing ground. If we look at physical signs such as church attendance, opinion polls, membership roles, popularity ratings, etc., most may give the impression that the church is shrinking and is becoming less popular and less relevant. However, the reality, the spiritual reality, is different. Like the experience before his true church today. Even now, people are coming to know and love Jesus, to become his followers, and to experience the salvation and the peace which God, with God which only he can bring. He has opened, and no one can shut this door against us. As the Apostle Paul reminds us in his letter to the Romans, and this is a quote from Romans. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Another spiritual reality is that Jesus' enemies, those who persecute and reject and revile his true church, will in due course be made to come and fall down at our feet and acknowledge that Jesus has loved us. So what next? Now what? Firstly, let's remember that appearances can be deceptive. What looks the case at first glance may not be the spiritual reality. What's really going on in heaven before God's throne. Let's also, many in the world will attack Christians, true churches, and those who seek to share God's word faithfully with others. They will call us misguided, bigoted, stuck in the past, not in the 21st century, etc., etc. They'll want to make us look weak badly in error, and on the wrong side of history. The actual and spiritual reality is very different. The Lord Jesus suffered in weakness on the cross and died what looked like a criminal's death. And yet, as he did that, he demonstrated his strength and power as he won a crushing victory over Satan and made way for millions to be reconciled to God and to be included in the new Jerusalem, God's holy city. The proof of this is his glorious resurrection from the dead, which is attested to by many in, in the Gospels and in the New Testament generally. We will triumph as we enter into the gate, or through that gate, which no one can shut. Jesus' enemies will be finally and decisively vanquished when he returns in glory. As we wait for all this to be completed, and also for Jesus to return, we should check our, which the Lord Jesus commanded us to do faithfully and to the best of our energy and our abilities. Is our allegiance firm and unshaken? Do we believe in our hearts and say with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord? Are we ready 
in season and out of season to give an account to any who ask us about the hope which we have within us. All this urges us to work now to store up treasure in heaven, which is perfectly preserved for us to enjoy when we come face to face with our risen Lord, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of life here and now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, and reaching into our hearts to shape us more and more into the likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that in the same way as you did for the church in Philadelphia, you have laid before us an open door which no one can shut. Keep us faithful in obeying you and in sharing with any who ask us the reason for the hope which of your name. Amen. Next week, Laodicea. <laughs>